Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us that is for our good. Uh, We ask as we spend time now thinking about this particular passage of what it means to be salt and light and uh, how that works itself out for us as a church that you would uh, help us to see individually, but also, Lord, as a church, as a group of people who, who get together uh, on a Sundays to worship you and get together throughout the week in different ways, what it means for us to be the people you've called us to be, to be salt and light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're working our way through this uh, really short two-sermon series, really, where we're talking about what we're getting ready to do in the fall and how we're framing that, how we're thinking about that in regards to who we're trying to be as a church. Uh, so our mission as a church is to make disciples. But we could stop right there, right? Because that is the mission of every church. And that's really at the heart of who I am and, and who Kate is and uh, why, we, why we wanted to be a part of Harbor City. We want to make disciples. Now, the kind of disciples that we want to make are disciples that uh, know what it is to experience the gospel in their lives. The way that we say that here is to experience Jesus in every part of your life. But the life of discipleship isn't one where you just, you know, it's just the bag and you just collect things uh, in the bag and you, the bag gets nice and full. Um, it's, it's really more of a pipeline, right? Where, where God's grace is going through you. And as it's going through you, it's being a blessing to the world. And so we say that we want to form disciples who experience Jesus in their lives, but also who share Jesus, uh, in the places where you live, work and play as they share Jesus in the city. So two weeks ago, we looked at being connected to Jesus as the vine and the branch. Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. Uh, and we looked at what the implications of that for how we experience the goodness of Jesus, the gospel, the transforming power of Jesus in our lives. And today, we're going to look at another aspect of Jesus' teaching, this time from the Sermon on the Mount, which our Bible studies did uh, back in earlier this year. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Jesus' teaching about being salt and light and how Jesus calls us to be faithfully present uh, there, there are all kinds of questions and all kinds of people that have different ideas of what the posture of a Christian should be, the posture of the church should be in reference to the world at large. Uh, some, uh, some argue that the posture of the church is to retreat, uh, to, to kind of wall ourselves off and protect ourselves. Uh, others, uh, while they may not necessarily argue this in effect, uh, they, they hold a position that says we should really, there is really very little distinction between those who follow Jesus and, follow, and, the, and the, anybody else. Uh, we advocate for what I'm going to call faithful presence. Uh, it's not my own term. It's a term that's been used widely. But faithful presence means that we are called to be in the world. Uh, we're called to engage in places of work, in our neighborhoods, in the buildings that we live in, the communities that we're a part of, the schools that we're a part of, uh, but that our presence is to have a distinctive nature to it. And Jesus here in this particular passage says that it's supposed to be something like salt and light. So we're going to look at three things in this passage. First of all, we're going to see what Jesus says about you and me as those who follow him. Uh, So if you've put your faith in Jesus, he's saying something here about who we are, our identity. Secondly, he's saying something about our world. Uh, And then finally, he's saying something about our calling in the world. So we're going to look at who we are uh, in Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at something he says about our world. And we're going to look at our calling in the world. So this teaching of salt and light is right after the Beatitudes. 
Uh, so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Uh, blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad in that day. Uh, this is the teaching of Jesus that then leads us into you are salt, you are light. Uh, and so right at the beginning, what you begin to see is that Jesus' teaching here is based on something that God has done in people. It's, it's, he has changed your identity. If I said to you right now, hey, go be salt, like go turn yourself literally into little white granules, right? You can't do that. It's not possible. Go be light. Turn yourself into a light bulb. You can't do that. That's not possible, right? In the same way as Jesus is giving us here spiritual reference points, you can't by yourself, I can't by myself become what Jesus is calling us to be. This is something that he does in us. He is the one that through faith in his son, Jesus, this is something that God does where he, you don't change, right? But your, your relationship to everything around you changes so that you can accurately be described as salt and light. In the same way that, remember, we talked a few weeks ago about being grafted into the vine and and the life-giving power that flows through you. Now, what do these words mean? So salt is obviously something that you put on food, you season it, it makes food taste delicious. You know, we've all had that moment, right, where, where you didn't put enough salt in a dish and it just doesn't quite taste right. I see some smirks. Or maybe you put too much salt in a dish and it just doesn't taste quite right. Uh, salt has certainly this, this uh, effect of seasoning. Uh, and, and there is a sense in which being salt means that there is something good and beautiful that we bring to the world. But probably the primary thing that Jesus is talking about here is the preserving power of salt. What happens to a piece of meat if you just leave it on the counter for a really long time? It spoils, right? It gets stinky and it gets all nasty. Now, what happens if you do that, but you season it in the right way so that it's covered in salt and you're in effect, you're curing it, right? All of the moisture, all of the blood, depending on the piece of meat we're talking about, all of that gets pulled out. And in effect, what ends up happening is that the meat is preserved. When I was a kid, uh, we would have this uh, salted cod. It's called bacalao. Uh, and it's not good, but my mom would fry it in these, these fritters, and then it was quite tasty. But I'm pretty sure that fried dough had something to do with the fact that bacalao tasted good. Um, but but so, so to me, like this is etched in my memory of being a little kid uh, and having that flavor of salted cod in a soup or in something that my mom would make. The, 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 this food then is preserved. You could like store it in the pantry right? It's not going to go bad. Uh, And so what Jesus is saying here is that you and I are in a world that's got decay and death, and we are to be a preserving agent in this world. John Stott is a uh, a British pastor who's had a huge influence in my thinking over the years. Uh, He died a number of years ago. And in fact, I think our Bible studies used his book to work through Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, he says, Christian saltiness is Christian character as depicted in the Beatitudes 
committed Christian discipleship exemplified in both word and deed. What's he saying? What he's saying is that, that to be salt is to be a disciple that with your words and your actions is having an impact in the world around you. Uh, salt was so important in Jesus's day that soldiers would be paid with salt, which is where we get the term a salary. A salary comes from the Latin word for salt. That's how you would get paid. That's how important salt was for the ancient world. Now, what about light? Uh, we, uh, you can imagine, you know, in our day, like we don't, we're never really in the dark, right? There's always at least a phone you can kind of reach out to, to get a little bit of a quick light. But in Jesus's day, the only sources of light was a fire or the stars at night. Uh, and so when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, when he says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden, what he's, what he's actually saying is that if you were traveling at night and you didn't know which way you were supposed to go, that you could actually look up in the sky and you could, based on, the, on where the, the, there was the most light, you could, you could infer that that was the direction the city lay in because that's the effect that the light emanating from a group of people cloistered together in a dark world would have. That, that it would actually guide you in a certain direction. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, if you know the teaching of Jesus, that's going to ring a bell for you, right? There's another time when Jesus says something very similar. Do you remember what it is? Jesus, right. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So which is it? Is Jesus the light of the world or are Jesus' followers the light of the world? What's the answer? Yes, exactly. It's both. But how? How is it that you and I become the light of the world? Because if, again, if I told you, go be the light of the world, you can't do that. The, The way that you and I become the light of the world is because, remember, channel back two weeks ago, right? Because of what? We are in, come on, Jesus, and Jesus is in us, right? What do we call that? We call it union with Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we become what he is. Jesus is the light of the world, and because of the faith that we have in Jesus, because of the gospel, we become what he is. We become the light of the world. And so you see that the teaching of Christianity isn't just a bunch of ideas that we kind of give some intellectual assent to, kind of just like, oh yeah, I believe in that. But the teaching of Christianity is life altering. It's life shaping. And so we begin with, this is who you are. And that's important. You can't, don't forget that point. You are, through faith in Christ, you are present tense, You are salt and light. Now, what does this passage say about our world? The inference is that our world is a place that needs salt and needs light. In 1914, there was an expedition to Antarctica, uh, an explorer by the name of Ernest Shackleton. Anyone who know this, the endurance? Anyone who know this story? Really fascinating story. Uh, So Ernest Shackleton led an expedition on a ship called the Endurance to Antarctica. And the goal of the expedition was to traverse, to to basically travel across 
the continent of Antarctica and explore and be able to kind of lay the claim of being the first ones to travel across the entirety of Antarctica. What happens, however, is that their ship, the Endurance, gets crushed by ice. Uh, and so what initially was going to be this, you know, great heroic expedition turns up to be a fight for survival. And one of the things, if you've read about the, the story of the Endurance, one of the things that was the hardest, uh, hardest thing for them to navigate was how dark it got. From May to July, there is no sun. And so it was so dark at times that you literally could not see in front of you. So, so like I couldn't see you right there. You would hear a noise and you wouldn't know if it was friend or foe. And the way that it was described, it, that it was, it was, uh, there was a, a desolation and a disorientation that happened because it was just so dark. You had no sense of direction at all. Scripture uses the imagery of darkness to describe this kind of effect. What, what Shackleton and his sailors experienced in Antarctica is reminiscent of what the world experiences. Scripture uses the term darkness. This is why uh, Isaiah 9 are called to worship this morning. What was it? Those who have been walking in the land of darkness have seen a great light. God says, I am the light of the world, right? This is old Jesus. When he says, I'm the light of the world, he's borrowing from Old Testament imagery. Why? Because darkness was used in scripture to show that this world was a world that is dying, a world that is experiencing death and decay. In Christian teaching and our kind of Christian uh, theology, we have a word that we use. We have several words that we use, but the main word that we use to describe what's broken with our world, what is wrong with our world is the word sin. And scripture uses the imagery of darkness in order to help us to make sense of the reality of sin in our world. So, so we, we can think of sin on a global scale, right? War, uh, death, terrorist attacks, but we can also think of darkness in a very localized sense. So every week, we as a church spend time praying around certain areas of need in our city, places where darkness, death, and decay exist. Every week, we spend time praying about things like human trafficking. We spend time praying for homelessness. We spend time praying for uh, foster care and for people who are refugees and immigrants that are fleeing uh, places of great, uh, great harm and great evil. We pray for these things because we believe that these are places where death and decay, where darkness is having its way, and we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. First point, remember who you into those things because that's what God has called us to. All right, so first point, remember who you are. You are salt and light. That is what you've been made because of Jesus. Second point, this is the world that we're called to be in. The world that we're called to be in is a world that experiences death and decay and darkness. It does that literally, right? We will all die. Some of, Rick is having surgery tomorrow because his body is breaking. But then spiritually, these things are also true. So then what is our calling in the world? 
the inference that Jesus makes is be salty, right? So he says, um, you are the salt of the world. Um, if the salt has lost its saltiness, uh, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, trampled under people's feet, right? So, so if the salt um, is no longer salty. Now understand back then they didn't have pure salt the way that we do today. Uh, so salt was mixed up with other things. And so if it got to the point where it got so polluted that it wasn't able to do the preserving effect, the only thing it was good for was to be, basically it wasn't good for anything. So the inference is be salty. What is inferred with salt is commanded with light. He says in the same way, let your light shine. This is verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father that's in heaven. That phrase, let your light shine, is a command, right? It's an imperative verb. It's telling you, this is what you have to do. I want you to pretend with me, we're, we're gonna go on a walk. It's night, it's dark. We're gonna go on a little walk. We're gonna walk down the street of my neighborhood. And as we're walking down the street of the neighborhood, um, if you've been on my street, you know we don't have very many street lights. So it can get pretty dark. So we're going to walk up to this first house and uh, there's a bunch of bushes and bougainvillea out front and the lights are not on. The, the outside light is not on. There's no lights on inside the house. And so really it's, you, you can almost just not see the house some nights because it's covered in darkness. Uh, we're going to keep walking down the street. We're going to walk a few more houses down in this particular house. Uh, where we see that there's a light on inside. The lights aren't on outside, but there's obviously somebody inside the house, but the blinds are down, the curtain is drawn. And so you can see the light and, and you can kind of make things out, but really it, there's not a lot of difference from the other house. We walk a little bit further down the sidewalk and we get to this other house uh, and uh, all the lights on around outside. Not only do they have the house on, you know, the light on the wall of the front door, but they've got little, you know, those really beautiful, like little pathway lights. You know what I'm talking about? They're really just, they're lovely to look at. Those are all on. All of the windows are open. Uh, all of the lights are on in the house. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're walking in and you kind of feel bad because you know you're not supposed to look in somebody else's house, but you do anyway, right? Um, and, and we look and everybody's just like, they're having a great time, right? They're, 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 there's laughing and you can tell like, oh, this is, I want to be inside this house. I think that image is a little bit of what Jesus is trying for us to understand. Because so, so, then all of a sudden what you realize is if, if you've been in a situation like that, the light emanating, the light coming out from that house, right? It, you find that all of a sudden you're not in the darkness either. Because the light coming from a house with that much light coming out of it, you actually are finding yourself a little bit in the light as well. When Jesus says a city on a hill cannot be hidden, what he's saying is that the, the light that emanates from a city is a light that lights its way for other people so that not only can other people see it, but that they can look in, that they can look into that source of light and see something that is life-giving that they can look into that house in this illustration and see what the kingdom of God is like. That's what Jesus is calling you and me to do. Uh, 
another British guy that I was reading this week on a completely different topic started talking about this passage. And he said something that really jumped out at me. His name is Christopher Wright. He said this, he said, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of new rules. It is rather a description of a new quality of life. It describes the thinking and behavior that should characterize the followers of Jesus when they submit to God's reign in their lives and acknowledge that Jesus himself is Lord and King over all. And I thought, yeah, that's right. You could easily walk out of the sermon today and think I'm just giving you a bunch of rules of things to do. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But really what, what we're talking about here is a way of life. It's the, it's that we, the church has been so fundamentally changed because of who Jesus is that the way that we think, the way that we talk and the way that we act has been changed. But here's the thing. You see that phrase quality of life. Uh, and I don't know about you, but what is the, what, when we use that word in North America, when we use that word in the United States, what we mean is comfort and convenience. A good quality of life means that things are going your way. And what I would submit to you is that that is actually, runs actually contrary to the call of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really nice to be comfortable. It's really nice when things are going your way. It's lovely. But when you think about the, the works of God, when you think about those moments in history where the Lord has showed up, where revival has broken out, where you think of those moments where, where the spirit of God has been at work, God's people are not comfortable and God's people do not have all the conveniences that they have. So I think of, I, think of, uh, I heard recently a podcast on what's happening at the church in Iran. There, there is a revival that is happening in Iran right now, that people are coming to faith. Uh, and there are stories of people who are experiencing the gospel in a place where it is not comfortable or convenient to be a Christian. I recently was uh, messaging back and forth with a friend of mine who's a pastor in Cuba. Uh, they don't like, they don't have food. The last time that I was in Cuba, there was no flour. So we couldn't have any bread, no flour. And yet during the pandemic, because they could not meet in person, they innovated and started a movement of house churches and hundreds of people across the island of Cuba came to faith in Christ in the midst of a lot of discomfort and a lot of inconvenience to a degree that you and I did not experience in the United States. As hard as it was, we did not experience what our brothers and sisters in Cuba experienced. Again, I'm not saying that it is wrong to be comfortable. I'm not saying it is wrong to have conveniences, but God works, has a tendency of working, let's say it that way, of working when his people are being pushed out of comfort, out of convenience. And as a result, his people are forced to rely on him in ways that they did not think possible. We get glimpses of that now. Uh, one of the cool things about being your pastor is that I see 
people who are really striving to be salt and light in our community. And, and so I've got some examples and I've gone back and forth about whether or not to give them to you, partly because I, you know, I want to be really practical and I want to be able to like really ground this sermon here as opposed to this, my wife says, is this a sermon you could preach in Iowa? It's always Iowa. I don't know why, but, um, uh, but the challenge of that, right, is that either uh, you'll walk out saying, well, those are the things that I'm supposed to do in order to be salt and light. And so it becomes kind of like a a prescription, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning type of thing. Uh, Or that, that you will know who I'm talking about. And that person will be like, oh gosh, I can't. Uh, So I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you some examples and realize that, that the comfort zone that God is always calling his people out of comfort. And that is not fun. Amen? Come on, I can get a better amen for that. It is not fun to be called out of comfort. So here are some, here are some ways that I've seen. I've seen people in our church who have gone out of their comfort zone to walk with refugees in our community, where they have spent significant amount of time investing in the lives, particularly of Afghan refugees. I've seen people in our church who have gone out of their comfort zone by going and spending time with students at David's Harp in order to teach them how to be able to cook and meal plan. There's an individual in our church who is so welcoming uh, that, that this one individual has actually given us favor in this part of the city because they are associated with our church. And the, and the gracious way in which this person I'm thinking of welcomes everyone across their path has actually given us opportunities that we would not have had otherwise. Think of people who have spent, who I know spend uh, a lot of time praying for the needs that we have. I think of folks in our church who have been involved uh, in law enforcement uh, and, and who serve either as law enforcement officers or as uh, providing services to law enforcement or working with law enforcement. I think of people who are teachers who are helping students in the classroom. I think of, of people in the medical profession who are using the skills that God has given them to help eradicate disease and cure illness. Uh, I think of business leaders who are, who are known not just as a good business person, but they're known as a Christian business person. And as a result, they gain more respect from their peers. And I could go on and on and on, right? That, that, that it's not simply a matter of like, oh, we all got to go do a service project over here. But that in every single place that God has called you to be, he has called you to be who you are. He has called you to be salt and light because that is what he has made you. And so we as a church, right, we're, we want to disciple you towards that because we recognize that we all need help in that. And so we have a Sunday school class that's talking about how to create welcoming spaces and homes because guess what? The home, a household is a wonderful place for salt and light to happen. We're having prop parties because guess, do you know that having political conversations in our country is really toxic? Did you know this? 
Um, we want to be a church that says, hey, there's another way of having political discourse. We want to be salt and light in there. We, we, we're, we're, uh, we're working through and thinking through how do we continue to move from being a church that simply does a couple of one-off service projects with Hope for San Diego, which are fine. I mean, they're great. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But what does it look like for us to take the next step? So that instead of just the ease, let's cut, look, it's easy. And I'm guilty. I'm, I do this too. Right? It's easy to throw money at problems. And sometimes problems need money. Amen. Um, but sometimes problems need more than money. Sometimes problems need us moving out of our comfort and our convenience to walk with people whose lives are messy and broken. And why do we do that? Ah, why do we do that? Because our lives were messy and broken, right? That's the gospel. Remember who you are? The part that I left out at the beginning that I saved for the end is that we were the ones who were experiencing death and decay. We were the ones who were in darkness. Isaiah 9, 2 is talking about you and me. On those who are living in the land of darkness, the light has shined. Jesus is the light of the world and his light shone on you. And if you put your faith in him, guess what that light did? It transformed you. It made you light. And so the point of the sermon is not try harder. It is not give more. It is not do more. Jesus is simply calling you to be who he has made you. He's made you light. Shine. He's made you salt. Be salty. Because that's who you are. Let's pray.